Let's open up our Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. I think that uh, I, I love many stories in Scripture, but I, I like the ones especially that I, that I really feel like I can find myself in the story. And uh, I like preaching through stories in Scripture. And uh, this is one of my favorite stories. And so if you're in 2 Samuel chapter 9, uh, here the pages turn. That's good. It's a beautiful sound, getting God's Word out. Or you got your tablet or your iPhone or whatever, you can get, get your favorite passage there. Um, you ever won something? You ever, you ever got a prize that they, they drew your name? Or, you know, like going to the... Like, they have the door prizes or whatever like that. I'm not good at that. I don't get the right number. I don't get my name drawn a lot. But there was one time when I was a kid, young kid, and I remember it real clear because it was like a huge deal at that time. And uh, I think it was at a Saints game, either a Saints game or LSU game, because I was so little I can't even remember. Either one's okay, right? Anyway, so they come over the intercom. And they have these, these big duffel bags. And in the duffel bags, they're giving away, they're promoting something. In the duffel bags, they have uh, T-shirts and all kinds of goodies, cups and stuff like that. And they're going to draw uh, and, and some gift cards and stuff like that. I'm sure my parents uh, benefited, obviously, more than I did with that. Well, I was a kid, and I'm like, forget it, I'm not going to win. So they read out the number, and I remember sitting there, and my mom looks over at me. And she points to me. She said, that's you. Really? I felt so excited about this duffel bag. It's just a little bag with stuff that I won't use, won't need. And we threw away the duffel bag, I'm sure, eventually. But I was so excited because I won something. I was the recipient of a gift. Have you ever been in that place where your name is called, your number's drawn, and you're the recipient of an awesome gift? To me, as a kid, that duffel bag was awesome. You ever see somebody react like this when they win the car on Wheel of Fortune? Yeah, it's a nice car, whatever. No, they're jumping around and acting crazy and their, their family's running out and tackling them on the stage and everything like that because they feel like they've won something awesome and it's, it's exciting. I think that's what we find in this passage right here. Somebody's a recipient of an awesome gift and it changes things. I believe if you're the recipient of an awesome gift, Especially the gift, the grace of God bestowed on your life. It changes you. It really does. Before we go into this text, let's, let's ask God to bless the preaching of His Word this morning. God, we, we thank You, God, for the gift of Your Word. Pray, God, that You would use it. Pray, God, that You would speak to us through it. We thank You for the gift of Scripture, the countless stories and of men and women who have gone before us, who have come to moments like this that we find this morning. Thank you for these gifts. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. I pray, God, that you would preach this message. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Second Samuel chapter 9, you with me? Verse 1 says, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now, I know there's some Bible scholars in here. I know there's some people that have gone through Sunday schools. You've read the Old Testament a dozen times, the New Testament 27 times. But there might be some folks in here that when you read that first verse right here, we're like, okay, David said something. He mentioned Saul and Jonathan. 
So who's David, who's Saul, and who's Jonathan? I think it's important before we move further in this text to kind of back up a little bit and get some background of what's going on in our narrative here, in the drama of redemption, in the drama of Scripture that we see in First and Second Samuel. First and Second Samuel are awesome books. If you've never read them, you should really read them. I remember when I was in church as a teenager, there's a lady that taught a Sunday school class. She said First and Second Samuel is like a soap opera. Of course, as a teenager, I'm like, I don't want to... The stories, people call them stories. I don't want to watch no story. But when you read First and Second Samuel, it is good. And there's these characters, David and Saul and Jonathan. So let's, let's catch up a little bit, okay? Can we back up a little bit? Let me just, you don't have to, you can just keep your place in, in 2 Samuel 9. Um, so we have David, who else? Saul and Jonathan. So David is this little red-headed shepherd boy, Jesse's son, right? Uh, Samuel, the prophet Samuel, that's why the, the books are named First and Second Samuel because they're named after the prophet Samuel. Samuel comes to Jesse's house and Samuel's at Jesse's house and, he, and, and Jesse brings out all his sons and he says, no, not, not that one, not that one, not that one, not that one. You got anybody else? And Jesse said, well, I got the little shepherd boy in the back, but he's tending to the sheep. Samuel's like, bring him out. Let me look at him. So David comes out and stands with his big brothers, his dad, and the prophet Samuel. When the prophet shows up at your house, it's usually really bad or really good. Sometimes they don't even tell you why they're, why they're there. They show up and they do something and they leave. It's kind of what happened this day when Samuel showed up at Jesse's house. Samuel looked at David and said, he's the one. Opened up his oil, glunk, 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 anointed him. It's probably how he did it, instead of like touching him with it. Put the cap back on his bottle and left. And they're all standing there like, all right. He didn't really explain to him what's going on. But that was very key. That was a crucial moment in the life of David. Because the prophet of God anointed David, who would one day be what? The future king. So that's who David is, this young boy, this anointed, special young man of God. Samuel shows up and does that. Now, when that happens, eventually the spirit uh, who was on Saul, Saul was the king at that time, the spirit did what? The spirit left Saul. Okay? And that's important. Because when that happened, Saul was kind of thrown off. He was kind of in this weird depression, uh, haunted kind of thing. And he was going crazy. He said, I need somebody. I need someone special that can be around me. I need someone who can sing. I need somebody who can play the guitar good. I need Craig. So that's kind of what Saul was thinking, okay? He said, I need somebody that can do that. Somehow maybe they can come and and comfort me. Well, somebody, you know, they, they... piped in and said, hey, there's this kid from Bethlehem. His name's David. He's pretty talented. Bring him up. So David ends up leaving his father's house and comes to the king's house. And he's uh, in the presence of the king. And he's, you know, Saul goes on these crazy rampages. And he's like, call David. I'm, I'm having a fit. And David sits down with him and plays and sings. And maybe Saul's just like, oh, thank you so much. And that's, that's key too, because that, that gave Saul this special relationship at that point with David. He knew something was unique about David. He's like, man, I need David in my life. And so David would, would do that. And we find, you don't have to turn there, just listen. It'll be on the screen too. For, in 1 Samuel 16, Saul said to his servants, provide me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I've seen the son of Jesse of Bethlehemite who's skillful in playing, a man of valor. This is how, this is how, David is renowned even at a young boy. He says he's a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech. 
Okay? This is good stuff. And a man of good presence. And the Lord is with him. So at this point, Saul's like, I need him. If God's with him, I need him. Therefore, Saul sent his messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, who's your son, who's with the sheep. You skip on down to verse 21. It says, And David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul loved him greatly, just like we were talking about. And he became his armor bearer. So anytime the king would go into war, he'd have this young man with him. He would be carrying his gear. And Saul said to Jesse, uh, Saul sent to Jesse saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And that's good. So we have this, this relationship that's established between David and Saul. See, time went on. And Saul and David, as David's in his service, he continued to, to, to work with him and, and try to help him out. Now, eventually we find in, in, uh, later on in the story, we find in 1 Samuel 17, the story of David and Goliath. And we love that story because it also kind of pulls out some, some more of the character of David. And some of these other characters that we see in this drama of First and Second Samuel. So in, in uh, First Samuel 17, we have the story of David and Goliath. Now, while David's still in Saul's service, he took care of his father's sheep. Now, that's good too. The, David, the future king, was in the service of the king, was in the service of Saul, but he'd still go home and check on the sheep all the time. He'd still go back and check on his sheep, and I think that's wonderful. And so when he would do that, he would see his daddy. And Jesse would say, son, how are your brothers doing? He said, I could check on him because he's going back and forth. Maybe he's got like this really fast camel. I don't know. But he's making these trips back and forth. So Jesse says, all right, I need you to take some food, some cheese to some of these guys. And um, go ahead and do that and check on your brothers and send word back. So yes, sir, I'll do that, dad. He's a great son. He's a great servant to the king. So David takes off. He's got his little satchel with his goodies, right? He's got his, his uh, Cheez-Its and he's got his, his crackers and stuff like that. He's got his cereal bars and things like that. The dad sent back to the, to, to, the, to the army, to his son. David shows up and he hears Goliath. He hears Goliath taunting. And this goes on for days where Goliath, this big old guy, comes out, right? Some people say he's like nine feet tall. He comes out and he's like taunting them. The, the, the army of Israel is saying, bring me your best guy. I'm the best guy here. And whoever wins, that's who wins the whole war. Boo, no, everybody's afraid in Israel, right? David, this little bitty guy with crackers, shows up and says, who is this big punk. What's he saying? And so when David said to the Philistine, listen to this, this is so good. This gives you a picture, a snapshot of who David is. And this is important in our story, okay? So he gets together and he, he, um, okay, so check it out. It says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine too. David shows up and says, I can take that guy down. Hold, hold this bag of food. I, I gotta, I'm gonna go pick a fight. So he met Goliath and Goliath, because David still has his shepherd's staff with him, along with his slingshot. Goliath says, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And then Goliath goes on to curse David. I don't know how long that lasted, but Goliath came up with some pretty, pretty interesting words, and he just blessed him out. And David said to the Philistine, this is good. You come to me with a sword and with a spear. And with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and I will cut off your head. This little boy saying this, this monster, this is good. 
And I will give the dead bodies of all the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord and he will give you into my hand. Now when... What's neat in this story is at this point when David starts talking, Goliath kind of kneels down or sits down or something. Like he's like, you come to me with sticks like I'm a dog? Please. He walks off and then David starts piping up and says what I just read. And then towards the end of that, Goliath kind of stands up and starts walking towards him. Now, I don't know if you remember in Sunday school when you were a kid, when, when, when your teacher taught this story. And every picture that you see, David's with the rock and the sling like this, right? Remember, you know the picture, the flannel graph, right? You with me? And Goliath's standing there. That's not what happened. Goliath starts, he says, really? I'm just going to take him. I'm just going to punt him through the field goal and it'll be done. So he starts walking towards David. What does David do? David gets his sling and sprinted, okay? David is like running full speed at the giant, loading up his sling. I mean, full sprint. And he starts swinging it. And I'm sure by this time, Goliath's like, oh, great. I'm just going to pick up the pace too. So they're running at each other. And David's like, he chunks that rock. And the Bible said it sunk into his head and boom, the giant fell. And David slows down and says, what I tell you? It's good. I like that. But you know what he did? He cut off his head, like he said, took Goliath's sword. And at this point, the Philistines are probably like, what just happened? Are you kidding me? So David pulls out Goliath's sword. Okay, I'm sorry, this might be a little graphic. He cuts the giant's head off with his sword and keeps it. Lugs it around with him, okay? Read later. He still has it later on. He's like, hey, I still got it. And like his mom comes into the room, he's like, son, what's that smell? Oh my gosh, what's that? <laughs> like that's who David is, okay? He stands up as a small young man with an army shaking in their boots behind him with a proud, tough army with a huge guy in front of them. And he says, I'm going to take you down and cut your head off and I'm going to lug it around with me. That's who David is. We find David's like this warrior, poet, musician who can sing, who can play. But he will stand toe-to-toe with the biggest dude on the planet and will sink a stone in his head. That's David. We like David. Now, what happens after that, a couple things will happen. You see that... now, Now, when they got home, people are saying, Yeah, Saul, he killed his thousands, but David killed his tens of thousands. So a couple of things happen right after that. Jonathan, who we read in verse 1, something happened between Jonathan and David. Jonathan is the son of Saul. Saul's the king at that moment. David's just the shepherd boy that plays guitar well and the giant killer. Saul, David, I'm sorry, David and Jonathan, the Bible says, were then knit together at the soul. They had this very unique friendship that lasted until the death of Jonathan. So Jonathan, Saul, the king's son, was knit together at the soul of David. And Saul, the king, went into some crazy, jealous rage against David. 
time goes on. You read the story. I mean, it lasts a while. He tries to hunt him down, tries to kill him any way he can. David gets a couple of chances to take him out. Really easy chances just to kill Saul, but he doesn't. Eventually what happens is, uh, you know, as the years go by, Jonathan eventually is killed by the Philistines and Saul commits suicide. Now, after that, David becomes king. Now, this is like the real condensed version, okay? David becomes king, but he mourns for Jonathan and Saul. He goes on to have many, many victories and many battles. Ultimately, he defeats the Philistines. And that's where we are. Now, why do I tell you all that to get, get up to here? A couple reasons. Gives us our background of where we are in the story. But it also reminds us, guys, listen to me. The Bible is awesome. It's awesome. It's full of some amazing things. That if you just dust the cover off every Sunday and bring your Bible to church, you are missing out, okay? Yeah. Try to skip meals for the week. You don't do that, do you? The Bible is your spiritual nourishment. You need to feed on that. And there's some wonderful things in that. This gives us the background, okay? The Bible says that David reigned in all of Israel, administering justice and equity to all of his people. Let's back up now. Let's pick back up where we are. Where are we? 2 Samuel 9. And David, I'm going to read this verse again. And David said, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now, why did he say that? Two reasons. The friendship that David and Jonathan had is God knit them together at the soul. But also, David made a promise to Jonathan. It was based on that promise that the king said this, what we have next. Now, so that's why he asked if there's anyone left the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Okay? Now let's look in verse 2. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba or Ziba or however you want to say it. And they called him to David. Okay, now Ziba or Ziba, he was a servant of Saul. Now he's a servant of David. So he's a pretty committed guy. He's a pretty you know, loyal fellow here. So they call Ziba, okay? And they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. Verse 3. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness, the kindness of God to him? And Ziba, he said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, but he's crippled in his feet. Now, I'm going to just give you some background of who he's talking about here. He's talking about our, one of our main characters in this passage. And his name is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is a character that's hard to say his name, but I've said it so much that I got that one down pat. Mephibosheth. You can, try, you can practice that in the car later. Now, who is Mephibosheth? Well, if you look back in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, when this is after some, some, some of the battle has gone on, um, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. What happened to Saul and Jonathan? Well, Jonathan was killed and Saul committed suicide. The news came back to where Jonathan's son was, Mephibosheth. 
He was five years old when the news came back. And his nurse took him up, picked him up. He's a healthy man, a healthy five-year-old at this point, okay? His nurse picked him up and she fled in haste. And and, uh, what happened? So when she fled, as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame and his name was Mephibosheth. So she picks him up. She takes off. She might have tripped and threw him. I don't know. Or dropped him off, off the balcony or something. But anyway, from five years old, Mephibosheth busted up his legs really bad where he couldn't walk. The Bible says that what? He was lame. Now, let's get back to Second Samuel chapter 9. Y'all sticking with me here? The king said to him, where is he? Now, Ziba at this point is thinking, this is going to be bad for Mephibosheth. Why? Because that's a whole family of the, the previous royalty. It's not good for you. If a family takes on ownership of the throne, everybody who used to have ownership of the throne, they ought to be dead, scared, running away or something. So Ziba's thinking, well, it's going to be bad for this guy. David's fixing to find this this son of this grandson of Saul, and it's not going to be good. So King said to him, "Where is he?" Ziba said to the king, "He's in the house of Makar, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar." And King David sent and brought him from the house of Makar, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Verse six. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. It's a pretty good response. And David said, Mephibosheth! Okay, there's an exclamation point there. And he's looking down as he's at the feet of the king. And he answered, Behold, I'm your servant. David said to him, there's some good words right here. Do not fear, For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. That's pretty good right there. And he paid homage again. And said, what is your servant? At this point, I'm thinking he's looking up at the king and he's saying, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul and to all his house I give to your master's grandson. Talking about Mephibosheth. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce. And your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. And Mephibosheth, what did he do? He ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table. 
Now he was lame in both feet. The Bible reminds us that he's crippled. The Bible says, this guy, it's, like, it's almost like the, the narrator, the storyteller, it's almost like Samuel's like, you've got to remember that he's lame. In this day and time, in this culture, if you were crippled, if you couldn't walk, you were worthless, absolutely useless. And there's, no, there's no good use for you. Sometimes they would take children that were born, or if they realized that they were of no use, they would send them away. They'd sell them off into slavery, or they'd just throw them off a cliff or something. That's what Mephibosheth is. He's this useless guy. What a picture of kindness, of grace. That's what we find in the story. The kindness of King David is extended to Mephibosheth, and it just just does something in our hearts. First of all, when you read through this story, you see that the grace of, of the king is extended to the unlikely person. Who? I mean, don't you think Ziba's, when, when, when David says, is there anybody left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Don't you think Ziba, who's looking around thinking, I'm the only one left from the house of Saul. I'm one of Saul's servants. And I'm faithful and loyal to this day to the new king. He's probably thinking, yeah, there is. There's this lame guy, the busted up legs, good for nothing guy, but he's often low to bar. The grace of the king here extends to the unlikely person. There's bound to be some people here in this conversation thinking, why didn't he just do that for Ziba? It seems like he'd be the one that he would, he would bestow honor on and say, you've done a great job serving Jonathan and Saul, and you've done a great job serving me. I just want to do something great for you. I just want to give you a duffel bag full of goodies. I just do something great for you. Make you feel good. But we see here that the kindness of King David is extended to the... It's almost like it's the wrong person. Why are you, why are you going after this Mephibosheth guy? Man, he's took off. He's off in some podunk town Lodabar. Way away from anything good. So we see that the grace of the king is extended to this unlikely person. We also see that the grace of the king is extended to the unlikely person from an unlikely place. Where? Lodabar. Nobody goes to Lodabar. Lodabar literally means place without pasture. There's not even cows in Lodabar. No one's taking a vacation trip to Lodabar. No one wants to say, hey, everybody, we're going to Lodabar. It's almost like you getting your family together and say, we're going to go on a family trip. We're all going to Lumberton, Mississippi. <laughs> Who's ready? Some of you are like, where's Lumberton? <laughs> Nobody goes to Lumberton on a vacation, do they? Nobody goes to Lodabar unless you're trying to get away from something. And that's who Mephibosheth is. Place without a pasture, old podunk, rural, hick town, Lodabar. Hiding out. Who goes there? People who want to be forgotten. Mephibosheth was out of mind and out of sight. He was safe in Lodabar. Still had problems with his feet. Maybe he had a couple of people that would help him get some food. He would just kind of coast along day by day in Lodabar. Nothing special going on. Just live day by day, Lodabar, mundane, mundane, Lodabar. That's who, that's who he was. For years and years in Lodabar, 
Nothing special. He was forgotten. Still useless in Lodabar. Doing his thing. In the place without pasture. So we see that the grace of King David has extended this unlikely person, Mephibosheth, to an, in, in an unlikely place, Lodabar. But then it goes, it gets better. The, the grace of King David sought him out and found him. David sent for Mephibosheth. David didn't send a letter and say, hey, send this to Mephibosheth and tell him to get on up here. I got to talk to him. No, he had his entourage, he had his banners, he had his, he had his, had, had a group and, and going to Lodabar to find Mephibosheth. He sent for him, he found him, he found the unlikely person. The king's grace went down his road and the dusty road was, was flaring up with dust as the king's banners and the king's men were coming to Mephibosheth's house and he's looking out the window and he's thinking, I'm a dead man. And they come in, the king's men come into Lodabar and come into Mephibosheth's house. They say, you're coming with us. The king wants to see you. Mephibosheth's like, can't, didn't even ask if he could get his stuff, probably. He's like, I'm dead. He's just going to cut my head off. So what happens. The king finds the sons and the grandsons of the old king and they get rid of them. So here comes the king's men finding Mephibosheth. And he brought him to himself. The grace of the king seeks out and goes and finds the unlikely person. The grace of King David goes and finds the undeserving Mephibosheth from an unimportant rural podunk Lodabar and calls him by name. Calls him by name with an exclamation point. They brought in Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth just comes down and says, this is bad. And David said from his throne, from his platform, above everybody in the hall, everybody's looking around like, what's fixing to happen here? It's fixing to get weird. And David said, Mephibosheth, as he's looking above everybody else, is this little crippled guy, useless, worthless, bowing down before him. And he calls his name. He says, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth still looking down. This kindness just comes from the throne to the unworthy of unworthy. It just flows from the throne, pours out on him kindness upon kindness, hollers his name, calls his name as Mephibosheth has fallen down on his face. What Mephibosheth is saying, he says, I'm out of, I'm out of, you know, this is out of my hands now. I have no control over this situation. I have no rights of what's fixing to happen next. He knew he was at the complete disposal of the king. That's where he was. He knew that. Basically, he's saying, whatever you say goes. Man, I can't fight you. I can't do anything else. There you find Mephibosheth, King David, in his grace, in his kindness, found who he was looking for. And he made him an incredible offer. That's what we just read. He says, I'm going to show you kindness. I'm going to restore all your land from your grandfather Saul. Which, what, what's, what's, uh, what's going through Mephibosheth's mind at this point? He's probably still looking down. He's, he probably, right? So you're going to eat at my table always as one of my sons. King David, his grace, his kindness, found who he's looking for and made him an incredible offer. That's what we call grace upon grace, folks. This Mephibosheth guy, this character Mephibosheth, what's his response? What's his, what's his response to David's radical kindness? 
There's two times the Bible says he paid homage. You can really equate paid homage with worship. He fell down before the king in worship. He paid homage. He says, you're the king. What is your servant? That you should show regard for a dead dog such as I. Humble worship before the king. This is an incredible story. And as I was reading through this, and I was trying to imagine how incredible, incredible Mephibosheth feels, is like the, the weight of the emotions that he's going through as he, find, as he sees the king's men coming to him. And he's brought before the king. And then he, he hears this offer. And I'm trying to, to, to equate some way to have a modern day parallel with this. And we just, I just couldn't come up with it. I couldn't figure out a way to say, you know, this story is kind of like today if it happened like this. And you, you just can't do it. But you can, because this is everybody's story in here who knows Jesus as their Savior. This is my story. If Jesus is your King, if Jesus is your Savior, and He came to you, He found you. The grace of the king is extended to the unlikely person. Me and you. We were enemies of the cross. Enemies of God. We were on the wrong side of the field. The wrong family. He should have taken us out. That's me. That's you. The Bible says in Romans 5.8 God shows his love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At that moment, we were still sinners. We didn't get our act together. You didn't get your act together. And then the grace of the king came and found you. No, you were hiding out in Lodabar. Crippled in your sin. Useless. Good for nothing. That's true. That sounds pretty harsh. Sounds like a mean thing to say to this Mephibosheth guy. But not when you realize that Mephibosheth is you. Me. And you see the story of the king coming after him. I'm going to come after you. I'm going to find you. The grace of the king extends to the unlikely person from this unlikely place. That's, I mean, we're from Lodabar. I graduated high school from Purvis, Mississippi. I eventually moved my family to Gulfport, Mississippi. I like Gulfport better than Purvis. really do. But this is a pretty unlikely place, right? For the king of the universe to come driving down your driveway, coming into your house, calling you by name in Gulfport. The king of the universe, really? Who sits high and lofty above everything else in this entire galaxy. And he's going to call you to himself. He's going to bring you before him. And he's going to say... I'm going to show you radical grace, radical kindness. It's going to change your life forever. And that's what happened. He found me and you at a load of bar. Some of y'all know your load of bar. There was a place. Your life was where you existed for a while before the king came and found you. Before the grace of Jesus came to you came down your dusty road. You remember your Lodabar? You think Mephibosheth ever would think when he's sitting there at the table of the king 
as one of the sons of the king, as he's sitting there eating the choicest food, drinking the choicest wine, having the best of the best every day, everything is the highest that he can even imagine. You think he ever thinks back to Lodabar? Yeah, he does. When he realizes sometimes when he's sitting here at the table and he just is reminded of how good it is. You think back to Lodabar sometimes, don't you? Like, man, I'm sure glad the king came and found me out of Lodabar. Man, I was sitting in that little bitty place every day. Most of the time I had to skip lunch because the people that helped me get food, you know, the bread was not, you know, house of Macar maybe been a little bit better than we think. I don't know. He thought back at Lodabar. He, he remembered where he came from when he's sitting at the table with the best that the king has to offer. The grace of the king is extended to this unlikely person from an unlikely place. John fifteen sixteen. Jesus said, you did not choose, choose me, I chose you. He came and found us. And you know what, here's the deal. There's people in this room this morning. I'm sorry, but here's the truth. You're still crippled in your sin and you're still in Lodabar. That's true. You've been in Lodabar for years. You know who you are. You've been coming to church maybe for a little bit. And you hear stuff like this. And it grates a little bit on the inside. Because you know, God knows, you're still in Lodabar. But here's the good news. I truly believe with all my heart that today, somebody is going to come out of Lodabar. That King Jesus is going to open your door and say, it's time for change. I'm going to pour grace upon grace upon grace on you. I'm going to take you out of Lodabar and I'm going to sit you at my table where you will eat always as one of my sons. Really? And just like Mephibosheth as he's downcast before the king, you look up when you realize that that's true for you. Man, it's just... When you realize that Jesus chose you, that He came for you, when we sing, Jesus sought me when a stranger. Right? We say, yes, He sought me when a stranger. He sought me as a cripple from Lodabar. He brought me to Himself. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 1. God says to the prophet Isaiah, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. See, this is what's happening in this room right now. There are people in this room right now that you're, you know that this is your story where Jesus came to you. He sought you and found you. And there's people in this room right now that, that you're burning on the inside. Because you think that Jesus is calling you to Himself. He's wooing you to Himself. And that's a good place to be. That's when you need to just look up to the King and say, Hey, you know what? From here on out, I don't have any say-so in this story. I don't know what's about to happen next. 
But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to look to you and say, okay. Here's, what, here's the thing. Like sometimes people come down front during invitation and they're like, I don't, I don't really know what to say. I don't want to say the wrong thing. Here's what you can do. If Jesus is calling you to himself, you feel it, you can come down and find me here this morning at the end of the service and just look me in the eye and say, okay. That's, you can. You can come down here at the altar and say, I'm in. You can come grab Brian over here and say, yep. You can. You don't have to put the pieces in order and say, well, well let me get this straight, King. Um, as, uh, as you brought me from low to bars, you brought me to yourself before you offered me this awesome, incredible gift of grace. Let me see if I can get this, get, get this, all this in order so we'll really seal this deal. Let me make sure I'm seeing all the pieces in the contract before I sign my name. Make sure I'm getting it right before, so I don't mess it up. No! It doesn't happen like that. The king comes to your place at Lodabar and brings you to his table, his house, his table, and says, this is where you're going to eat. I don't care what you say. Ha! And you look up at him and you're like, okay. And that's good. He comes and he finds us as a stranger, far from him. He seeks us out from the unlikely place, the unlikely person. Romans 5, 6 says, for while we were still... Weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still crippled, while we were still useless, He came and He came to us. And see, I mean, you realize that the story of King Jesus' grace upon us is deeper than King David's grace to Mephibosheth. Because David brings Mephibosheth and he says, you're going to eat at my table always. That's a great offer. But Mephibosheth still has lame feet. He still has a problem. Maybe they're, maybe they, you know, you know, historically, maybe they didn't sit at a table and you can pull in and hide your legs. But, you know, essentially maybe he could, he could get by with the fact, you know, I still got bad legs. See, King Jesus came to you brought you to himself, made you an incredible offer, and fixed your legs. You were crippled in your sin. He says, I'm going to fix that. Not only did he say, I'm going to fix that, but I'm going to secure the deal. I'm going to nail it down, and I'm going to die on a cross. And it's going to be final. And it's going to be settled for eternity. And here you are. Here I am, standing up here, I'm just, I'm just, there's nothing special about me, folks. I just walked from that pew up here behind this pulpit, remembering that I was crippled. Remembering that the grace of the King came and found me. And I say, praise God. Praise God that He came. I love thinking about the King's banners and this. His men coming down my driveway. Load me up. Bring me to the palace. You're going to move. I'm give you a change of address form here. The kindness of the king also calls us by name. What did King David do? He called Mephibosheth, called him out. But see, the grace of King Jesus is even better than that. See, 
the grace of our king, calls us by name. He calls us out. He says, hey, cripple. Hey, useless. Hey, resident of Lodabar. That's what your identity is. That's who you are. But you know what? I'm going to change your name. I'm going to change your identity. Not only am I going to make this incredible offer, not only am I going to seal it with my blood as I died for you, but I'm going to change your name from crippled to restored, from broken off in some rural Lodabar to a son of the king. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul starts this, this wonderful treatise on the supremacy, the preeminence of Christ. And he shifts gears in, in verse 21 and 22 in Colossians chapter 1. He says, and you, now talking to the people who are sitting at the table of the king. He's talking about those who are redeemed. Talking about those who's, who, who the banner of the kings have come down, who's brought us out of Lodabar. Talking about those who've been, who have been, whose legs are, are not crippled anymore. He says, and you, you were once alienated. You were once hostile in mind and doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach. Your name was, before the king came and found you, was alienated. Your name was hostile in mind. Your name was doing evil deeds. And he calls you by names he brought you to himself. He says, Rod. He says, Mephibosheth. And we look up and then he says, man, he says even more. He says, I'm just going to change your name. No longer will you be remembered as who you used to be. See, Mephibosheth, you can read on later. Mephibosheth still had problems with his feet. He didn't even do a good job of taking care of his feet. And Ziba, you can read on later too. I'm trying to get you to keep reading the Bible. You can find out later, Ziba, he's, he's kind of like a little liar, you know. He, he does some, shake, some sneaky things with, the, with Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth doesn't do a good job taking care of his feet, doesn't do a good job of taking care of his beard. And the king's like, why don't you take care of your beard and feet, man? See, the thing is, the king Jesus, he fixes our feet. He takes care of everything for us. And that's great news. King Jesus in his kindness, he found who he was looking for. He made an incredible offer. He said, I will show you kindness. I will adopt you as my children. I will, you'll eat at my table always. That's grace upon grace upon grace for you in this room. What's our response to King Jesus? What was Mephibosheth's response? The Bible says two times he paid homage. If this is true for you, if it's really true for you, that you were a crippled, useless enemy in Lodabar, and Jesus came and found you, brought you to himself, fixed your legs, took care of all your sin, died for you, Gave you a promise that you're going to be with him always. What is our response to that? What do we do with that? Simple. Same thing Mephibosheth did. Worship. Worship every day. Worship with your life. 
you wake up tomorrow and you, you realize that, man, I don't live in Lodabar anymore. You wake up tomorrow and you realize, I eat at the king's table today. You wake up tomorrow and you realize, you know what? I might still have some aches and pains from my feet. But one day, because of what Jesus did for me, one day all my aches and all my pains will be totally gone. See, Jesus is preparing a place for His children. We worship now, today, in this lifetime. We worship in the good times and the bad. We say, blessed be your name when things are bad. We say, blessed be your name when things are good. Because one day, we know that if Jesus has come to us and called us out of Lodabar, our heavenly home awaits us. Our inheritance is amazing. We are an heir to the kingdom. That's our future. So what's your response to the radical grace of King Jesus? Live a life of worship today. And then rest all of eternity in an eternity of worship. And we can't really explain what that's like. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. Worship. You know, it's a life commitment. It's devotion to our King every day. Psalm 95, 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our Maker. Our, our lives should reflect things like that. That I kneel my life before my God, my Maker. And I will gladly come into His house with His people and sing His praises. I'm concerned a little bit when someone says that they actually came out of Lodabar and when we sing Blessed Be Your Name, it's just kind of like... I've sang this ten times, Craig. I'm concerned about someone who thinks like that. You got a little callous, maybe. You got hard a little bit. Maybe you forgot that the king brought you out of Lodabar. Or maybe you need to realize that you're still in Lodabar. And you need to come and give your life to Christ, even if you've been in church for decades. It's not about wearing the church clothes and standing up and sitting at the right time and place. It's not about knowing what class to go to. It's not about having the right answers in Sunday school. It's about whether or not the king is taking care of your feet or whether or not he's called you out of Lodabar. I think a lot of people are going to stand before the king of glory. And they're going to be shocked at the fact that they, are, they don't know Jesus. But Lord, I, I did this. I came to church. I was a member at Michael. <clears throat> we worship. Not only that, but we extend grace to others. We live a life of worship daily. And then we extend the grace of the King to others. Are you serious that Jesus really did that for me? Well, then how am I supposed to react and, and deal with other people? Men, how are we supposed to deal with our wives? Our children? If it's true that the grace of the King Jesus has done that for us, we extend that grace to them. And serve others. Pour out grace upon grace. There's an awesome opportunity that we have. There's some packets in the back for eight days of hope.
little packet right here. It's back page, little registration form. Fill that out and get it back to me. It's a mission trip for you to extend grace upon grace to somebody. And it's going to cost you the cost of two fast food meals. That's it. See, here's the thing. A lot of people come to me and say, yeah, it'd be great to go on a mission trip. But I've even heard someone say, I can't justify spending money on that. Yeah, mission trips are expensive. But not when they're $20. You spend more than that in a month, in a week at Starbucks. The king came to us and he poured out radical grace upon us. And we worship. And then we in turn realize what he did. And we just pour out radical grace on others. And that's what happens with people who've been brought out of Lodabar. It's my prayer. It's my hope that I see a world, that I see a Gulfport, that there's not a whole lot of people that still live in Lodabar. There's been a lot of people that have heard the grace upon grace coming from your mouth, seen it from your life, and they come up out of Lodabar through the grace that flows through your life. That's my prayer for this world. For the, for the boys in Belize, for the Chinese people in China, for the men and women in Brazil that don't know anything about Jesus, that they see from your life and hear from your lips that you've been brought out of Lodabar. And they say, yes, I want that. And you see them come out of Lodabar. This weekend, me and some college students and Wendy Cini are going to the Dominican Republic. We'll get a chance to bless those there. We'll do a little short vacation Bible school. My prayer is that the gospel of Jesus comes down one of their roads their, their, to their life and calls them out of Lodabar. Pray with me on that, would you? We're going to have a time of response. Here's the response. Here's the response for you. Are you still in Lodabar? Maybe you are. Maybe the king is coming to you, calling you out of Lodabar. Maybe he's come to you and he's called you out of Lodabar and he's fixed your, your crippled, sin-filled legs and he's made you an incredible offer. Then you need to sink deeper into that. There's some implications that come along with that that maybe you're not walking in. Maybe he's calling you to himself. He's calling you by name. He's been calling you for a while. Just listen. You don't have to know the right thing to say. Just come find me and say, yep, I'm in. I want Jesus. I need to, I need to be saved. I'm tired of Lodabar. What would be crazy is if Mephibosheth was brought to the king, and the king gave him this offer, and Mephibosheth's like, no. Nah. I think I want to go back to Lodabar. We kind of chuckle at that. But the grace of King Jesus comes and sits next to you in church every week and says, you know what? I want to bring you to myself. I want to give you an incredible inheritance. I want you to have a life with me. And you'll spend eternity with me. And you're like, no. I like Lodabar. So would you, uh, would you stand as we close in prayer? Would you come out of Lodabar?
If you've been out of Lodabar, just worship. Come and pray for someone that you know that's still far from God, that's lost. Let's just do our business with God, with what He's doing right now in this place. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You so much, Lord, for Your precious Word. God, for Your amazing, amazing grace that we talk about. God, that we try to understand. We try to wrap our minds around, Lord, but it's just hard sometimes. God, I thank You for this story of, of King David just showering the kindness upon kindness on this, this hurt, broken Mephibosheth. And God, we thank You for the simple fact, Lord, that this is so many of our stories. That Jesus, the Master, the King of the universe, He came to us. You made this incredible offer. Grace upon grace upon grace. And You brought us out of Lodabar. You brought us to Your palace. And You tell us, You look us in the face and You say, You're my son now and You're going to eat at my table always. Oh God, that's a good place to be. There's a war going on, I believe, God, with, within someone's spirit right now. I pray, God, that you would just take over. And they would look up. And they would look to their king. And they would find themselves at the table forever. God, we love you. We turn this time over to you, God. Have your way. Have your way in it, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.